0: Welcome to Write Up Your Allergy, the best science podcast in the valley. <laughs> Today's podcast is hosted by me, Clara, and if this is your first episode, I'm currently a fourth year environmental science student at Acadia University, um, working on my undergrad and completing an honors.
1: And my name's Emily, and I'm a third year biology student.
0: Okay, Emily, how's your week been going? Oh, you know
1: how- is grinding soil
0: (laughs) day and night day okay well I don't know about you but I've been feeling pretty bogged down recently you know all that work is it's really getting to that time of the year where feeling pretty stressed out really yeah and it's got me pretty bogged down but you know what I think this brings us into a perfect segue to what we're going to be talking about today
1: that was so smooth.
0: (laughs) Well, thank you. (laughs) So today's topic is about bogs. You know, since we're both from Newfoundland, we are well acquainted with a bog, but how much do we really know about them? Today, I want to share a bit of my knowledge about bogs, what roles they play in carbon sequestration, and why our warming climate might have a significant impact on these ecosystems. So you ready? I
1: was born ready.
0: (laughs) Good response, good (laughs) response. (laughs) So Emily, can you tell me the first thing you think of when you hear the word bog?
1: Squelchy. <laughs> <laughs> I think of like walking through one, like with these shoes on, and there's like squishing between your toes, You're, like getting stuck in like a mud puddle.
0: I imagine them as
1: wet, pretty much.
0: Yeah, wet and green. Green, okay. Also,
1: frogs and things. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, for me, I generally think of pretty big, large herbivores like moose and caribou. Um, you generally see those in bogs. I think of brown grasses, decay, a stench <laughs> and of course, the picture plant, the provincial of, oh of course, the provincial flower of Newfoundland, and endangered by the way. However, there's so much more than that. They're a type of peatland, which is characterized by the fact that they contain peat, which is a layer of ground that is partially decomposed organic matter. There are many categories of peatlands, but I don't want to get into that. I want to talk about two. So the first is bogs and the second is fens. So do you know what the difference between those are?
1: I do not, but I was actually, this sort of compelled another question. Is a bog a sort of, I guess, subsection of a wetland? Are they the same thing, or are they different things for one within the other?
0: Basically, how it's structured is peatlands are kind of the overall arching term for all these different ecosystems and bogs are one example there's salt marshes there's wetlands there's fens there's a multitude of other things so anything containing that layer of peat would be considered a peatland so wetlands are considered in the peatland category yeah so the difference between a bog and a fen is actually how they receive their water So, bogs are raised above the surrounding area, and they receive their water only from precipitation, whereas fens are lower than the surrounding area, and they get their water from groundwater. They're classified, again, by their water sources and the pH that that environment is, so whether that be acidic or neutral. And just for you guys who don't know, uh, neutral pH is basically, you can just think of water as a pH of 7, where if you think of a lemon, that's obviously more acidic, and soap is a more basic pH. Peatlands are not only recognized as an area where there's peat, but they are generally, again, fairly acidic environments with low decomposition rates. They're waterlogged, and this causes anaerobic decomposition. So, immediately when someone asks me where peatland is, my mind goes to North America, just because that's where I'm from. However, peatlands are found on every single continent. There are tropical peatlands, which are found in the rainforest, mangroves, or in mountainous regions. Wetlands are also considered peatlands, and this includes those in tidal regions and those in freshwater regions. Wetlands can be fabricated or affected by human activity, but they're still considered peatlands.
1: So, is
0: there peatlands
1: in Antarctica?
0: There is, and I'm getting to that. Oh, okay. So, in case anyone was wondering about peatlands in Antarctica, there's not a whole lot of information on this, but there was a study that looked at Cape Rosamin, uh, which has exhibited small areas of peatland beginning to form as a result of warmer conditions. And before we get any further into the episode, I just want to make a note that I did get most of my information from this episode uh, from the website the International Peatland Society, which I will post on the show description. Their website was really helpful and goes into a lot more detail about what I'm going to talk about today, but I did want to shout them out because if you're really interested in learning more about peatlands, I think it'd be definitely worth your while to go check out their website. Okay. So now back to it. So let's set the scene. You walk out into a forest clearing. The tree line maps out the edges of this grassland-looking area. You take a whiff. There's this odor that seems like sulfur, rotting eggs. Wondering what it is coming from, you take a look down and see black, muggy, waterlogged earth. Well, this, my friends, is the result of anaerobic decomposition. And this is a decomposition that happens in the absence of oxygen. The main decomposers in these types of environments are archaea, uh, such as methanogens, which take an organic matter and convert that carbon matter into methane, which is a very, very potent greenhouse gas. So when we talk about greenhouse gases, a lot of people think of carbon dioxide but other greenhouse gases that are also responsible for climate change include nitrous oxides and <clears throat> methane. And I believe methane is thirty-five, or sorry, thirty-four more times powerful than carbon dioxide is at heating up our atmosphere.
1: Interesting. I've heard a lot of that does come from the the cattle, the cattle industry.
0: Well, yes and no. Uh, Methane can be a result of a lot of things, and one of those things is melting permafrost, which I looked at, and yes, it is considered a peatland, uh, at least the information that I could find. And when you think of that, that makes sense. It's a lot of partially decomposed organic material, but it's just frozen. Although these methane gases aren't getting emitted to the atmosphere at a rapid rate, and in actuality, these peatlands are an important carbon sink. So Emily, can you explain what I mean by carbon sink? No. (laughs) Okay, so (laughs) carbon sink is one of the ways that we talk about carbon sequestration, sequestering carbon from the atmosphere, making sure it doesn't get released. A peatland basically has all this carbon stored within it, and that's really important because if that carbon were to get emitted into the atmosphere, it would get emitted as methane. We don't want that at all. That would be very bad. And in a lot of climate models, we don't account for the fact of permafrost melt, which also has a lot of methane, and these methane gases that are being emitted by some of our wetlands. Bogs and other types of peatlands are also an important factor for ecosystems as they offer and get ready for this really long list mm-hmm. of all the beneficial aspects of peatlands. The first is nutrient cycling within the environment, and that includes nitrogen. Phosphorus and carbon. They provide habitat for a lot of different organisms, insects, plants, mosses, sedges, grasses, and they do provide habitats and feeding areas for larger mammals such as caribou and moose. They help to form different types of soils, which is also important. There are spiritual connections and educational opportunities in peatlands, and we're going to get into a little bit of that later when we talk about bog bodies, so get ready for that. It's super exciting. (laughs) They can be used in agriculture and as fuel products, this peat. There are many plants and animals that use the peatlands for food resources, and we even use many of those organisms that rely on peatland for food. Again, like caribou. There are large reservoirs of fresh water. Peatlands are actually considered one of the biggest or the bigger portions of freshwater that we have on Earth when we think about where we get our fresh water from. Peatlands are are quite important for that. They play a critical role in climate regulation, including sequestration of carbon, which I previously stated before is a result of the slow decomposition and longer retention times of carbon. Archaeologically it preserves artifacts, including human remains. It can protect against erosion and acts as kind of a thick blanket of immobile material. We build on peatlands. Fish can be found in some different types of peatlands. Materials in a peatland are used in different industries, such as textiles, for insulation, and even therapy and body care. But I think it's also important that we just take the intrinsic point of view when we think of bogs and peatlands all these other reasons is what we would classify as extrinsic, meaning that it serves a purpose that is measurable, whereas intrinsic is just the value within itself. The beauty and the dynamics of these ecosystems are something that we need to take some time to just appreciate. Not only do they serve this unique niche, but they're also terribly critical important for life, and they also have this rare beauty about them. I think it's so fascinating that In such a deserted landscape, you can find so much biodiversity. The issue with modern day is we fail to recognize just to what extent we exploit this natural resource, and how incredibly detrimental this could be for our future. For example, according to the UN Global Peatland Assessment, peatlands cover about three to four percent of the Earth's surface, but they store approximately one third of the total. Soil carbon, which is twice as much as all the world's forests together. Again, when we think of these carbon sinks, we think of trees. We think of trees for storing oxygen. We think of them as kind of a resolution to all our climate problems. But these natural ecosystems, such as peelins, do a lot more in carbon sequestration. And like we talked about last time in the algae episode, oceans are responsible for most of our oxygen that's produced and also they're a huge carbon sink
1: so interesting that we've talked about this in all three of our our episodes so far is the role that trees play is just sort of a symbol but they really don't play the same role that we maybe attribute to them exactly not to the same scale as maybe less glamorous things
0: yeah exactly and i think it's important to know that trees obviously do play a critical role in our ecosystems but They're not the solution to everything. They're not the solution to all our problems. However, on an annual basis, 500,000 hectares are being destroyed. And already 12% of the current peatlands are destroyed or damaged, which accounts for approximately 4% of all carbon emissions on the planet each year. So Emily, how much do you think 500,000 hectares is?
1: I don't even know what a hectare is. Was it like 100 by 100 feet? Uh, I, I, don't know.
0: I think that's an acre oh that's an acre maybe i could be wrong i was so a hectare
1: like a hundred acres
0: <laughs> i don't know something like that i, don't I this is hey, the I metric
1: think i'm gonna go i think that's the size of newfoundland
0: okay <laughs> uh, newfoundland's a bit bigger I don't know so i was
1: like corner brook but i was like that's too small yeah too small <laughs>
0: So everybody's favorite way to talk about hectares is in football fields. So, you know, just in case you know how big a football field is, it's 934,367 football fields, or just a little less than the entire province of PEI every year. Holy smokes! Yeah, so it's, it's totally crazy to me the rate of loss of such a valuable resource. And this is not just... A, a pretty ecosystem to look at. it's essential for our mission against climate change. I honestly believe that we should be taking advantage of these natural resources that are designed to sequester carbon, and instead we focus our attention on technology that can sequester carbon. you know, so it's kind of a little paradox there for you if you
1: yeah, it is interesting that we already have. You know, I guess our our golden solution, but we just keep getting rid of it and opt for more expensive options. Really, (laughs) yeah.
0: So, like I mentioned before, peatlands have a important archaeological significance. Well, I know you asked me already, but tell me what you know about bog bodies.
1: Uh, I can't say that I know all that much, but I do know that it is always, I guess, very exciting when a bog body can be recovered because they're so well preserved. Like like skin and hair can like remain after thousands of years i I, it's very interesting
0: yeah no definitely and while there is a number of different bodies and parts of bodies man bogs archaeological experts have suggested that many of these bodies were the result of ritualistic sacrifices
1: do you know like what i guess i don't know what society it would have been from like i I guess i don't know too much about ancient civilizations
0: these bodies have been dated back as far as 9,000 BCE in Europe.
1: Oh, wow. That is very long. I was going to say they knew, like, what religion it could have been, but I mean, that's still long ago.
0: No, and the interesting thing is, is when I looked it up, you can look at the bodies and see how well-preserved they are, and there's that famous body, I should have written down his name, um, but it was a man who was hanged, and the rope was still preserved. And so they've been able to determine the cause of death for a lot of these bodies. Well,
1: I think I can figure
0: it out if I found <laughs> Well, not just that, but there's been people who's had... This is going to be very gruesome, so if you don't want to listen to this part, please skip ahead, like, maybe three minutes. Probably is a good idea for you. Yeah, but they found people who have, like, been cut from ear to ear, and they found people who have been, like, disemboweled and everything, oh. and these bogs, and these, they think, are spiritual sacrifices to some type of god.
1: I'm not, like, gonna deny, I guess, forensics, but it's so interesting that you can, ooh, some that they know how to differentiate just, like, something that happened post mortem, you know, 9,000 years ago from, you know, something that happened minutes before they died. That's so interesting. Yeah, and...
0: It It is really sad, too, because there's been a lot of murders and stuff that, or accidental deaths, and these bodies, the process is that they get mummified. So they're mummified in these bogs. And this was before the Egyptians practiced, you know, the mummification process. So it's very interesting. Not only do bogs serve, like, this important natural niche, but they also have a cool significance for cultural aspects and also archaeology, which I think is, is really fascinating. And other discoveries also include artifacts. Um, there's lots of different tools that are being preserved and lots of different buildings and, and constructions um, that have been preserved in bogs. And one of the cool discoveries was I found in the Yukon, they found a wolf mummy. And in the permafrost that had been in peat for over 57,000 years. And it was in perfect condition. Wow.
1: That is incredible.
0: Yeah, so I think I'll probably end up posting some of these images. Um, probably not the the bog bodies, just in case. Um, but the wolf mummy, super fascinating. It was very interesting how well-preserved it was. That actually makes me think of,
1: that. I'm not sure if this is the case, but do you remember, like if it was last year or the year before that they had found a uh, a juvenile woolly mammoth and it was very well preserved, like it had hair and stuff. I'm wondering if maybe that's, uh, maybe a bog's
0: responsible for that one. Yeah, no, I think, I think what you're talking about is the uh, woolly mammoth, it was up north in, in Canada and they've also oh. found some in Russia as well and it has been preserved in permafrost generally, oh, okay. um, because well, I mean, this more northern latitudes. So as this permafrost melts, and I'm probably going to end up doing an episode on permafrost, let's be real here. Uh, but as this permafrost melts, we're discovering more and more artifacts. But the sad thing about it is, like, a couple weeks later, these artifacts could be completely gone uh, because they've been washed away by the ocean. Interesting. Yeah, so as soon as we find these discoveries, we really have to take advantage of them because they're not going to be there for very long. So we talked about all these significant aspects of bogs, but I did want to get into one study. This study was written by Wu and Ulet in 2014. I'll be talking about this paper, and then I want to go into some of the research ongoing at our university at Acadia and learn a little bit more about the projects that are concerning peatlands. I actually worked with Dr. Wu at Memorial University over a summer on one of his projects in the peatlands, and it was super fascinating. And yeah, and I think that's why I was kind of drawn to this topic too, because I've had experience in these bogs and these peatlands, and the projects are just super fascinating to me. The name of this paper was titled, Climate Change Reduces the Capacity of Northern Peatlands to Absorb the Atmospheric Carbon Dioxide the different responses of bogs and fens. This comes back to the two different types of peatlands I kind of wanted to address. So just a little refresher, bogs get their water from precipitation and fens get their water from groundwater. The aim of this study was to look at how sensitive the bogs and fens are to climate changes, such as temperature, precipitation, and increasing carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. And they wanted to look at it Uh, with the current projections for 2100. It's kind of a weird year to say. (laughs) Um, And they hypothesized that there would be significant influences to the bogs and fens due to climate change. They also hypothesized that with current climate projections, northern peatlands will become less effective in their ability to absorb atmospheric carbon. So the projections that they based it off of was the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, or IPCC. At the time they wrote the study was four that they based it off of, but when I looked at it, there is five. Um, and we'll get to that later. <laughs> so they completed a modeling study and they looked at soil and surface climates, including soil temperature, moisture, and water table depth. They looked at carbon cycling, uh, specifically CO two fluxes or carbon dioxide fluxes, and this includes information about primary production, which is Um, through plants, ecosystem respiration, and exchanges of carbon dioxide between the peatlands and the atmosphere. In their study, they found that fens were more sensitive to climate change because these peatlands are at different latitudes. They also wanted to test like why this might be. So they performed a transplant experiment, which basically means they kind of like switched where a bog and a fen would be. Through this transplant, they concluded that fens remained a carbon sink until about 2060, and then they would start producing more carbon into the atmosphere than they sequestered, whereas bogs were more likely to remain a carbon sink until 2100. This sensitivity is due to the fact that bogs can withstand a large range of changes in environmental conditions compared to fens, and this is partly due to the fact of where they get their sources of water, so the hydrology. Since fens rely on groundwater for their vegetation, and bogs rely, again, on precipitation. However, they also concluded that it's very important to include northern peatlands in climate modeling for the future, as they are a good indication of carbon cycling through the atmosphere. Do you have any questions on this idea?
1: How do you switch out a bog? They,
0: it was... So basically what they were doing was a a modeling experiment so it was all mathematical equations. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and this is just based off of data that they had previously you didn't just pick up the ball. No, no, no. Pick up the no, because you can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just nonsense. No, no. They just it was it's more of a mathematical modeling. So I didn't want to talk too much about that because I don't even understand it went right over yeah, my head. Yeah, right over my head. It already <laughs> went right over my head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so basically the takeaway from that research paper that I want you guys to understand is that environmental changes really affect the fens and really affect the bogs. And it's important that we keep these an effective source of carbon sequestration. But with climate change, it's going to be likely that they're going to be not taking in as much carbon as they're emitting. So that contributes to a positive feedback cycle. And again, they just wanted people to understand that it's important to consider them, you know, when talking about climate change. So now I want to talk about some of the work that's currently going on in regards to Nova Scotia peatlands. There's current work being done at the Casey Irving Environmental Science Center uh, that focuses on wetlands in the Acadian Forest region. On their website, they detail some of the student research that is being done as well as work at the seed bank. If there are any Acadia students out there that are listening uh, to the episode and want to know more about the seed bank or the herbarium, I will include a link to the website in the episode description. The purpose of the seed bank and the herbarium is to store native plants from the Acadian forest region and its wetlands that are undergoing some type of stress, whether that be they are endangered, rare, or that they're threatened by an invasive species. There are many of these projects worldwide that look at harvesting and collecting seeds. This process is important to conserve genetic diversity of plants, and I would encourage you all to do a little bit of research in your own community to look up some local seed banks, or even some larger ones that are near you. They're super fascinating to read about, and there's also lots of videos out there that explain more in depth what a seed bank is. As well, currently at Acadia, there's lots of research being done on salt marshes and their ecological significance. These peelins are such an important ecosystem, and they are also very interesting to research. There's many opportunities out there to get involved in wetland restoration. In Canada, and I believe in the United States as well, uh, Ducks Unlimited is one of those organizations, and it aims to help protect and restore wetland habitats. So for any of you who are interested, I can also include a link to their website if you wanna check it out. But again, I would encourage you to look up in your own region, what kind of wetland restoration projects are ongoing. So that pretty much is everything I wanted to cover in today's episode. Emily, do you have any comments or questions?
1: Another thing about Ducks Unlimited is, especially, sometimes Ducks Unlimited will have, of course they have their, I suppose their main page, but they also have, I guess, more local pages like there's Ducks Unlimited in Nova Scotia, and they're always posting, like, calls for volunteers and stuff like that, like, they've been posting in Nova Scotia at least, like, banding opportunities for, like, owls and ducks and things like that, so this is a really great opportunity to get some. You know, resume points, you know, university application points. You know, it's a great volunteer opportunity and
0: just a way to help out your, your local wetlands. Exactly. And anybody can get involved in these types of projects. I mean, it's, it's a community-based kind of organization. So I would definitely encourage you, if there's a Ducks Unlimited in your area, to get involved in some way, shape, or form. So I was talking to my partner, and he came up with a very good name for this quiz segment. I know we've had a couple different goes at it, but he said we should call it Trivia, which I just think is amazing. (laughs) So after this episode comes out, I'm going to put a poll on Instagram, and you guys get to vote the best segment name. So just to let you know the options, we have Quiz Pen, which was very bad, very bad pun, Clara. (laughs) Believe it or not, which I think we can turn into like a different type of segment, like maybe like myths or facts. I know we were talking about that before, but anyways. And then trivia. Um, I know what I'm going to be voting for. Emily, do you?
1: I think I'm sticking to my guns with this one, actually.
0: Oh no! <laughs> okay, so let's get ready for some trivia. Question one What is not one of the IPCC? Future climate scenarios. A, 1.5 degrees Celsius by 2050. And when I talk about, I mean an increase in 1.5 degrees Celsius. B, 1.8 Celsius by 2100. C, 4.4 Celsius by 2100. Or D, 3 degrees by 2100.
1: I think it's A. I don't think it's as big. I don't know. I don't think it's going to be as big of a jump.
0: So the correct answer is actually D. Oh god, that's the highest one. No, (laughs) 4.4. Oh no. 4.4C. Oh goodness, that's a lot. Yep. So the current projections currently go as follows. The most optimistic is 1.5C by 2050. And I believe that is that we reach our net zero like probably 2 years ago last <laughs> year but i think it's i think it's around net zero right now and the next best is 1.8 C by 2100 so that's if we i believe reach net zero by
1: 2050
0: middle of the road is 2.7 C by 2100 dangerous 3.6 degrees by 2100 and avoid at all costs which is 4.4 degrees by 2100 so those are the f- future climate projections, which is kind of scary to me. <laughs> yeah. We've really got to get started on those. I think <laughs> do what you can to stop climate change. <laughs> like, take a walk. I don't know. <laughs> That's not a good suggestion coming from an environmental science major. Never mind. Don't listen to that. Um, question two. Which is not a factor affecting the loss of peatland biodiversity? A. Habitat loss. B Invasive species, C, nutrient pollution, D, climate change, or E, caribou. Is it caribou? You are correct. (laughs) There's many forces that are destroying biodiversity in Peatlands. However, native species are not one of them. But if I had said moose, it's a different story. And especially if I was talking about a Newfoundland, so. (laughs) Question three. What is one of the ways you can help protect our peatlands? A. Get involved in your local sea bank. B. Educate yourself on peatlands in your area. C. Volunteer or participate in restoration projects. D. Contact your local government and ask about their protection plans for peatlands. Or E. All of the above. Is it E. All of the above, Clara? It is E. All of the above. Please get involved with your local villains. <laughs> so question four. I wanted to test I wanted to test your memory for this question. So I repeated it several times throughout <laughs> throughout this podcast. The first is what's the difference between a bog and a fen? And the second question is, according to Wu and Roulette, in 2014, what is more sensitive to climate change? Fens are more
1: sensitive to climate change and fens get their uh water from groundwater and fogs get them from precip- precipitation.
0: That is correct. And I hope oh, so <laughs> <laughs> and I hope all of you at home kind of follow along with the quizzes. They're very fun for us. Um, so that's it for the episode. But don't forget to leave a rating and a review of our podcast so that we can expand our audience and provide more education to more people about our environment, tell your friends and family who have any type of interest at all in the environment, and you can also follow our Instagram page at Podcast. it's all one word, all lowercase, so that you can receive updates about our episodes and have access to photos for each of our episodes. So today I'll be posting images of peatlands and bogs and restoration projects pictures of seed banks and maybe even a mummified body or two and we really appreciate you listening to us today and we hope this episode was right up your algae that was so
1: good four is er,
0: sorry, three is four
1: you went a b three yep